Welcome to our Sunday Sermon Podcast with City Harvest AG Church. Wherever you are in life, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Here at City Harvest, we believe in the undiluted Word of God and the teachings here will enhance your understanding of the Scripture and will help you grow and mature as a Christian. So we hope and pray that you will be blessed by this sermon. Today's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Shine Thomas. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And I have entitled this message as Kingdom Responses. Kingdom Responses. By the way, we are having a long journey through this Gospel of Matthew. And I'm sure you are trying to understand and get into terms with what this first century writings about Jesus, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, is ministering to us. Very interesting, isn't it? Matthew, later when the chapter divisions came, uh, later uh, they divided Matthew into 28 chapters. And today we are in Matthew chapter 14. That means we have come halfway through Matthew. So let me take you through this journey and get into the text of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. The much awaited king of the Jews in the line of King David. The Yahweh God the Jewish people worshipped has come in flesh as Emmanuel Jesus to his people. A beautiful connect from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And in chapter 1, 2 and 3, Matthew has given to us the birth of the king. The new king, his genealogy. His miraculous birth and the birth narratives. And then in Matthew chapter 4 through 7, Matthew has also an intention to present Jesus as he's connecting the Old Testament to present Jesus as the new Moses or somebody greater than Moses. One of the tallest figures in the Old Testament was Moses. And that's why you see after the baptism of Jesus, Jesus goes to the wilderness and then we can find Jesus going to the mountain and the mountain discourse or called as the Sermon on the Mount. Like Moses going to Mount Sinai and giving the people of God the law. The new Moses, somebody greater than Moses, the greatest prophet has come and he's taking his disciples and the crowd to the mountain. And he's giving his people the way you are to live in the kingdom that Jesus is establishing for the world and the people of God. So 4 to 7 is the announcement of the kingdom of God. And how the children of God are to live in the kingdom of God. Please go and read Matthew. And uh, initially it was recorded for us uh, in the first century when Matthew wrote down the gospel. Some 30 some years after the life of Jesus. It was read at, as one gospel in the church. And when you read it as one, you get the entire story of Matthew's storyline and what he's trying to teach us through his gospel. And it takes some two hours to read through the gospel and you will know what I'm talking about. And to present Jesus as somebody greater than Moses, Matthew gives five 
teaching blocks in his gospel which i will uh, in the days to come i will explain about this five teaching blocks why because moses the first five books of the old testament is related to moses and the torah and matthew presents jesus as presenting a new torah new way of the covenant living with the lord jesus christ in this kingdom so he present to us five teaching blocks in the gospel of matthew so 8 to 10 you have the kingdom of god being established and how the kingdom of god is become real in the lives of people they are experiencing the supernatural power they are experiencing the nature being controlled by jesus and and the people being healed and delivered and sick being healed and the kingdom becomes practical in the lives of people common people are experiencing the power and the might of the kingdom of god but the kingdom that jesus established is a kingdom that is in much opposition to the kingdoms of the world and so we find in matthew chapter 11 to 13 responses of people to the kingdom of god people are not responding well the people who initially believed in jesus are slowly begin to doubt the kingdom of jesus and the doubt starts with chapter 11 where john the baptist the forerunner of jesus in a prison uh, somewhere in galilee he is doubting whether jesus is truly the messiah so we find mixed responses some believe and some doubt jesus and slowly people are beginning to resist the kingdom of god and but jesus has launched a great ministry now not only jesus his 12 disciples are going two by two and proclaiming the kingdom healing the sick and this jesus movement is known and his waves are felt far and wide that this man of nazareth the god who has come in flesh is doing doing in the land of galilee and when we come to chapter 14 it is an amazing chapter it is like a chapter taken out of the filmed uh, story which is a real story in the bible it is an amazing story and a great contrast of a person who disbelieves jesus in spite of knowing the word of god and a contrast of how god's people are committed to serve god and serve the kingdom of god it is a story of the beheading of john the baptist by king herod and his wife uh, herodias and later jesus feeding the 5000 and the chapter finishes by jesus walking on water again and uh, a great miracles towards the end of this passage So let's open our bibles to matthew chapter 14 and we will read verse 1 at that time herod the tetrarch heard the reports about jesus and he said to his attendants this is john the baptist he has risen from the dead that's why miraculous powers are at work in him now who is herod when we think about herod in the bible remember at the birth of jesus there was a herod the great he's called herod the great because he ruled a bigger kingdom and a larger territory and he was a man who was afraid of anybody coming and being a threat to his kingdom so when he hears the herod the great hears that the king of the jews has been born he orders a killing of all the baby boys boys below the age of 2 and he was such a cruel man 
but now we know that when jesus went to egypt herod the great died so this herod is the son of herod the great and i will explain to you if you come to the map which i have for you we can find that after herod you see the black uh, periphery of this map that is the territory of herod the great the entire territory was ruled by herod the great but after herod the great died this man had multiple wives and numerous relationships lots of boys and girls and uh, all had the name herod attached to him uh, because they wanted to take over the name of the father and take over the father's kingdom so there was a power struggle after king herod the great died and three of his sons got a bits of the land can you see down in samaria judea and edomia that whole region was the region of herod archelaus his one son took that part of the rule and then you can find uh, on the north east part we can find that his son philip the tetrarch he took the rule of that portion because after the father the sons are dividing the land according to their influence and then you can find herod antipas and herod antipas somewhere in the middle galilee region that's where jesus grew up nazareth galilee capernaum and uh, all these regions were the jesus initial ministry time and that time this place was ruled by herod antipas and herod antipas also has a small piece of land over here peria can you see that he ruled up in the north as also he had a territory down south and how did he do that this man was hungry for power this man was hungry for position and property and land such are the kingdoms of this world when power comes to man he is greedy and what he did he made an alliance with the king of nabitia can you see the nabitian desert over there that's the place apostle paul went to when he got his conversion experience and after he was baptized he went to nabitian desert and there was a king that was ruling the nabitian desert and he made an alliance with that king and married his daughter and as a gift he got that land of perea so now herod antipas is ruling both over there and over here and he comes to here coming back to the story okay coming back to the story he comes to here reports about jesus how did he hear reports about jesus why because the jesus movement is growing and it is expanding beyond this territory by the way if you look at the map uh, herod antipas he lived in tiberius you see over there right tiberius near the sea of galilee that part he lived and jesus was very close very close over walkable distance from galilee or capernaum to go to tiberius the palace of herod the great but we can find that jesus intentionally never went to tiberius because he was a egoistic man and a wicked man and jesus did not go there but jesus was with the poor people around the sea of galilee in the region of nazareth and capernaum okay so what we find over here is that he comes to hear about jesus and when he comes to hear about jesus he is telling this is john the baptist he has risen from the dead 
Last time, where do we hear John the Baptist about? In chapter 11, when you go and see the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, we can find John the Baptist was in prison and he doubted Jesus. Herod had put John the Baptist in prison along with his adulterous wife, Herodias, because they attacked the immoral lifestyle of the Herod and his wife. So last time we hear about John the Baptist, he was in prison. And now from this account, we know that John the Baptist is dead. And when he hears about Jesus and his ministry, he's having his nightmares. He has murdered somebody. And now he feels that Herod feels that John the Baptist has resurrected from the dead. Or his demons are all around. And Jesus has come in that form and he's afraid. I've heard stories of people committing murder. Read stories where that murder victim will stand in the nights of his pain and despair and give him that fear and fright all through that person's life. When people murder somebody, they can see that face. Experiences, people say, that in the dark times of night, this life, the murderous victim becomes real and they feel that that person is watching them and, and they're afraid and they go in fear. And Herod the Antipas, he was afraid after murdering John the Baptist and when he heard about Jesus, he thinks it is John the Baptist who has resurrected and come. And in verse 2, and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. So this is the introduction of this passage. Herod Antipas is interested in meeting Jesus. He has not seen Jesus. He heard about Jesus. On one side he's sad that he has murdered John. And he's feeling that John has resurrected in Jesus and he has an intention to go and meet Jesus and Matthew so beautifully like a movie story now in his inspiration and his writing gives a flashback what exactly happened to John the Baptist and here we have the flashback of the story what happened to John the Baptist in the prison come to verse 3 now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now, what happened? For this, you need to know a little bit of the story and uh, a little bit of the characters surrounding the story. I want to talk to you about four characters now. John the Baptist, Herod Antipas, Herodias and her daughter. Now, Herod was married to that Nabathean desert, that king's daughter. And what happens? All these Herods were under the rule of Rome and they had to report time and again to the Roman emperor, the Caesar in Rome. So Caesar summons these Herods and all the Herods and their wives, they go for a vacation in Rome and they meet Caesar in that meeting time, Herod Antipas looks at his brother Philip and his wife and her charm and her beauty. 
this married man is carried away by the charm and the beauty of somebody else's wife and that too his own brother's wife and he seduces her and she falls for that seduction something like out of a movie story but this happens when power is there with man when money is there with man and when man's ego and lust is taking control of him he wants to go beyond his wife he wants to go beyond the covenant of marriage and satisfy his lust with whichever way he can so he seduces his own brother's wife called herodias and he hatches up a plan he says i like you you like me but we have a problem your husband is a problem my wife is a problem so we will quietly go back you divorce your husband i will divorce my wife then we will legally get married this plan has been hatched he goes back family trouble has created you know that when there's a third person in the family it destroys the peace of the family when one person is not faithful to the partner one person has an affair outside of the home it destroys a home both the families one person's lust destroying three families and the children and the relatives dear friend let it be a warning to the world today where there is no sanctity of family boundaries and sexuality when you contrast this family with the family of of uh, last week the family of aquila and priscilla see the contrast of this dysfunctional family they both divorce their spouse and all of a sudden they kind of plan up for a proper wedding of herod antipas and herodias and then the king summons the people probably the king summoned even john the baptist to get approval of the prophet you know there are people who approve people's wrong ways these are the false prophets but john the baptist was not a man like that you know what john said for john had been saying to him it is not lawful for you to have her herod wanted to kill john he is a prophet he is a man who confronts sin and why do we have prophecy my dear child of god prophecy is not to soothe you with what you want to hear prophecy is there to correct us and edify us and confront the sins of mankind look at the role of the prophets of the old testament and now we want prophets to come and approve our wrong doing like herod he heard the word of god and he had summoned john the baptist with his power and money and position so that this prophet would come and approve his wrong and illegal lifestyle but what did john the baptist do the greek text says that he kept on saying to herod and he kept on 
saying in the whole land where Herod Antipas ruled, what the king is doing is not right. He is into an adulterous relationship and he has committed incest because he has married his brother's own wife who happens also to be her uncle. Can you imagine the depths of which man can stoop down? The king of the Jews, he knows the word of God. But in spite of knowing the word of God, his heart is a hard soil. Remember the soil story? Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 13. Rocky soil, hard soil. The word of God of repentance and salvation and turning from their wicked ways is not penetrating. He hears the word of God and it is not taking root. And here is a picture of a rock soil and a thorny soil because he is caught up with the affairs and the things of this world. And then Herodias is this woman. John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the cousin of Jesus, who prepared the way for the Lord, a thunderous prophet, an innocent man who confronted sin, is in prison for no fault of his. And a lustful man, an adulterous man, a man hungry for power and land and position and sex and money, is caught free. Roaming and doing whatever he wants. Many times we ask the question to our own self, isn't it? I am a righteous man. I didn't do any wrong. Why am I suffering? And why is those people who are harming me, who are doing everything wrong, prospering? The kingdom of God is under violence by violent people. Because the principles of the kingdom of God runs contrary to the kingdom of this world. And the style of this world. Look at what John said. Verse 5. It's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John. But he was afraid of the people. Because they considered him a prophet. Look at Herod. Antipas. He was not a God fearing man. He heard the word of God. But he was afraid of people. Are you afraid of people or are you afraid of God? Let me ask you, whom are you afraid of? He was a man, he was afraid, fearful of everybody around him, not God. He wanted to kill him, but he could not kill him because he was afraid of people. Now the story, the flashback is taking an interesting turn. It is like out of a movie set. But sadly this happens. Then it happens in the postmodern world today. Verse 6. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much. Stop there. Now Herod is celebrating his birthday. And if you study the account of Josephus, the Jewish historian and the other accounts of books, which if you read, the birthday parties of the then powerful people were stag parties. And what are stag parties? Stag parties are men alone come and celebrate. There are no women there. All those who are coming to celebrate are men. And a lot of liquor is poured out. So it's a drunken stupor for a party. 
wild music will be played can you get a picture of something in the world today like that men get together enjoy different kinds of dances they are drinking every kind of drinks and wild music is playing and once this men are in this drunken stupor and when they are fully drunk and not able to withstand it anymore comes the dancers into this group they are the women now is the entry of those seductive women into that dance and they will seduce this men and they dance with this men and women and it ends up in sexual orgies and adultery of every kind it is not shocking to the postmodern world that we are living in it is all around us friends a man who heard the word of god taken his celebrations the wrong way identifying himself as a man with a hard soil and doing everything that the world is doing and look at herodias how low a mother can stoop because of revenge and jealousy she is angry at john the baptist and she is waiting for a revenge to kill john the baptist so this woman stoops so low that with less clothes this woman who go to and this drunken parties are having hardly any clothes on their body and she takes her 16 17 year old girl historians say joseph say that her name is salome and she calls salome from her room decks her up and puts minimal clothing and sends her in front of this drunken men and herod antipas looks at his own wife's daughter from somebody else and he's pleased in his lust and he falls for a 16 year old girl drunkenness destroys homes adultery destroys homes your friends these all are warnings for the children of god somebody who heard the word of god somebody who heard from john the baptist living in such a lifestyle coming to church does not make us holy christian life is a daily living in your private and in your personal life beware the world is so attractive we need to safeguard our lives by the word of god and strive to live holy lives otherwise who suffers i suffer my family suffers my children suffer it's time we stand up for holiness it's time we stand up for purity men women of god how are your eyes where do you find your satisfaction from is the world getting inside of us herod fell and he makes a very foolish offer to this girl says verse 6 on herod's birthday 
the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. When you are in the world, when you are one with the world, you make foolish offers. When you are drunk and you have the cup in your hands, no matter what vice you are, or when you are lost in the sin of adultery, your eyes are blinded and the wisdom is clouded that we end up making foolish decisions. How many kingdoms have been lost? How many families are broken because of the effect of alcohol, addictions and sexual impurity and adultery? And he makes a foolish offer he said, you ask whatever you want. Other gospels has a parallel narrative of this. And he says, even I can give you half my kingdom. All he was working for was for the land. And now in this seduction, he has forgotten all that. And he's telling, I'm willing to give you everything. Just for that momentary pleasure. And Herodias, the wicked wife, was waiting for this opportunity. And by the way, the Bible does not talk to us that she is Herod's wife. John the Baptist confronts Herod by telling that he is the wife of your brother Philip. You know, you plan like this and you divorce your partners and get together and live together. The Bible does not approve that she is Herod's wife. So she sends the daughter and now she's waiting for this chance. And in verse 8, Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, verse 9. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that a request be granted. Now look at this king. He said, you ask anything I will give you. And this girl comes and requests him about John the Baptist's head on a platter. In olden days, if you had an enemy and if you could uh, do something to your enemy and you had the right, you could ask the enemy's head on a platter and the head would be brought, the dead head would be insulted by poking and it was a practice over there. So she said, my enemy is John the Baptist. So she sent the daughter and says, ask him the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. Oh, I made a foolish choice. I never knew that this would come. Why? Because in the prison, after putting John to prison, if you read the other accounts, Herod was fascinated by John. Earlier he was afraid of John and put him in prison. But after putting him in prison, Herod would visit the prison and hear John the Baptist speak and prophesy and preach. And he was fascinated. Why? Because he has no power to talk against him. And he would go and listen to the kingdom stories. And he was very fascinated. Look at this man. He heard the word of God. And he was very fascinated by the word of God. Just fascination by God's word is not enough. 
Today, as you're hearing God's word, you're thrilled in your heart to know how deep is God's word. How practical is God's word? Some of you are really fascinated by the way the word of God, the spirit is delivering the word now. My dear friend, Herod was fascinated like that and just that fascination is not enough. It has to turn into repentance and lordship and a life of discipleship and that's what Jesus is calling. Now he is distressed because he was fascinated by the word of God. He knew what John says is true, but he's afraid of his people. He wanted to save his face in front of those men, his captains and his commanders of the army, the royal people who have come there and in front of his wife Herodias. And even though he knew and he could withdraw that oath, knowing it was wrong, he did not do that. Come to verse 9. The king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that a request be granted. And he had John beheaded in the prison. Innocent man of God. Suffering the violence of a worldly man who heard the word of God. John was silently beheaded in the prison. Did no wrong, confronted sin, prepared the way for Jesus. Herod is parting, Herodias is parting, but John, Jesus' disciple, God's prophet, we find the first century, first martyr in John the Baptist. His head comes on a platter. And many times we may think about why people of God are suffering. People of God, the kingdom suffereth violence from the world outside us. Do you know that uh, later in the second and third century, there was a Roman Empire aided persecution against the church. More than 3,000 to 3,500 people were martyred for Jesus Christ. Jesus is a second in the line. He knows that my forerunner has been murdered. I am next in the line. He looks at his disciples and he knows they are the third in the line. They are all going to die for the gospel. Can you imagine the emotion of Jesus? Can you imagine the emotions of Gladys Staines when her husband was burnt alive and the two sons who had just come for vacation? The kingdom of God is still being attacked by the opponents of the gospel. Verse 12. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. It's a very sad story. When you go for a funeral service, last week we had a funeral service here. I was with that family from the beginning. And when we conducted that funeral service, everybody, all of us, we want to have a last look at the face of that person. And that wonderful memories comes to us when we look at that face. John's disciples are taking a headless body. John have invested much into these people. 
can you imagine their pain the trauma they can't even look at john the baptist for one last time and they bury the headless body of john the baptist and then then they come to jesus can you imagine the emotion of jesus his cousin one who prepared the way for him and gave a lot of his disciples to be jesus disciples is dead and he knows that i am next in the line these guys are going to kill me and my disciples over here you guys are going to die too because he is god he knows what's coming so it says in verse 13 when jesus heard what happened he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place he wanted some private time solitude he wanted to process what was happening get ready for the same fate on his own life get ready to submit himself to the will of the father but the crowd would not leave jesus you see that passage was was 13 the crowds followed him on foot from the towns so when jesus took the boat in the sea of galilee and went to a deserted place with his uh, disciples so that he can have some private time to process what has happened the crowd who were hearing the message and experience the healing they want ministry they want healing they want to experience the kingdom so they went by foot and was around jesus and what did jesus do was 14 when jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and healed their sick he is going through his own grief jesus is pained by john's killing and his upcoming death but the crowds are not giving him rest on one side he has to process his pain on the other side he has compassion on people he ministers and he heals people my dear friends in ministry my dear co-pastors and sisters if anybody is in ministry this is our life when we process our own pain we have hundreds of people to minister to this is christian ministry and christian life we don't get silent time there are needy people all around and processing his pain he put it in the back burner and he goes and has compassion on people and he serves people you cannot take a break from ministry once you take the yoke there is no putting back the yoke let me talk to my fellow pastors here pastor friends who are watching me once you take the yoke there is no dropping down you will go through pain you process it and you minister show compassion till your breath of end breath you take that yoke and you follow jesus 
the whole day the crowd was with Jesus. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it is already getting late. I remember the time when Glory was admitted in the hospital with her surgery and it was a major surgery. Our doctors had not given any hope because the complicated surgery was so, this thing, I signed the consent as per this thing. A cancer surgeon, an oncologist and a gynecologist and a general surgeon, they were conducting the surgery together. As many of you came to us in that hospital when we went through that surgery. Thank you. I remember my heart was battling with pain, grief. Do not know what will happen. Surgery is ongoing. I go to the terrace to just sit and process what's happening. And somebody comes and meets me. Pastor Shine, I am so glad that you are here. And they start half an hour sharing their troubles with me. Not even asked why I am there. And I remember praying with that people. Comforting those people in our comfort. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he wants his followers to do that. And the whole day he did that. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. If you come to Jesus, you don't have to go away. Every provision is in Jesus. Right? So they don't have to go away, but you give them something to eat. You take care of them. It's your duty as my disciples to feed. So what did they do? They said, come on, Matthew, check, man. If anybody's bag has got some food, Jesus is asking us to feed these people. I can't answer back, Jesus. How can we feed this 5,000 men, 20,000 people? Let us see what we have. And one of the disciples' bag they found, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Who has? The disciples have. That means when they were going to that part of the town to process the grief of the death of John, one of the disciples who was a little thoughtful had put some five loaves and two fish in his basket so that when somebody who is hungry, I can feed. So they found that from one of the disciples, not mentioned over here. And they said, we have only five loaves and two fish. Bring them here to me. What is he teaching? Kingdom generosity. Once you come to Jesus, you surrender what you have to Jesus. Your money, your time, your talent, your resources, your family. Everything, we don't keep it. We just give it to Jesus. And only when we give, we receive the blessing. And others are blessed through us. Kingdom generosity. What you have, you give. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. 
taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the bread. Now what is happening over here? The disciples have given everything they have for the kingdom. Remember, I started with the parables. I would like you to go and read the parables. And just before in chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And it's verse 44. When a man found it, he hid it. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and brought the field. So what is it? The kingdom of God is like investing everything that we have to receive that kingdom. So when Jesus was asking his disciples, what do you have? They found the treasure of great worth and they gave it away to gain the kingdom of God. Again, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. This is a good soil. The disciples are having good soil. Not hear it. They are selling what they have and buying the kingdom. It is so invaluable. And then Jesus made them sit and he gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the people. He did not directly give. He gives to his disciples and the disciples minister to the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. So in giving you find satisfaction in investing in the kingdom of God is true satisfaction and what did Jesus do? He took the bread and he broke it Gave thanks to God the Father. Now when is Matthew writing this? Are you thinking with me? Matthew is writing some 30-35 years after Jesus died. So these are post-resurrection memories of Jesus' disciples. So when Matthew is writing about Jesus taking the bread and breaking it. He is also thinking the Passover. The last Passover in Matthew chapter 26. Where Jesus took the bread and broke it. And gave a new covenant to his disciples. And what is Jesus doing actually in Matthew's thinking? When Jesus broke the bread, he is also processing the pain of John the Baptist. And in telling to himself that I am also going to be broken on the cross. So look at Jesus. He is still processing the pain. And by breaking that bread, he is telling this is my fate. But I will minister. I will heal the sick. And I will have compassion. I will feed the people. And I came for the sake of the people. The number of those who ate was 5,000 men. Besides women and children. Kingdom responses. Look at the response of the disciples. Look at the response of Jesus. Look at the response of Herod Antipas and his adulterous wife, Herodias. The story does not end here. I just want to bring to a time where in start 14, 1 and 2, Herod wants to see Jesus because he's thinking he is John the Baptist resurrected. And Jesus did not see Herod. Later, 
in Luke chapter 13, the Pharisees come. Are you with me, church? The Pharisees come and ask Jesus, Herod wants to meet you or Herod wants to kill you. They, this is the exact words. The Pharisees come and tell Jesus, this Antipas wants to kill you. You know what Jesus said? In Luke chapter 13 and this verse 32, he replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. In other words, he called him fox. If John the Baptist called him an adulterer, Jesus was not afraid to confront sin. Paul was not afraid to confront sin. Stephen was not afraid to confront sin. And he called Herod a fox. And today we should not be afraid to live a holy life and confront sin when we find sin. Don't cover it under the carpet. He did not meet. But Herod finally meets Jesus. You know when? He meets Jesus in Luke chapter 23. This is during the trial of Jesus. This is the only time Herod and Jesus meets. He was long desiring I would meet Jesus. Jesus would not meet him. And finally when he came on trial. Luke chapter 23 verse 6. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. Where are they now? They are not in Galilee anymore. They are in Jerusalem for the Passover. And down in Jerusalem, Jesus is arrested after celebrating the Passover. And in the next day morning, he's been tried in the Roman court. Pilate is the governor. And to celebrate the Passover, Herod Antipas has come all the way to Jerusalem and is vacationing over there. And Pilate hears, knows that this man is innocent. And when people said to Pilate, that if you release Jesus, you are not a friend of Caesar. Pilate thought that Herod is there and Jesus is under his jurisdiction. He has come for vacation. Let me send him to Herod. And this Jesus and Herod Antipas... Jesus bound as a prisoner is meeting Herod Antipas. Come to verse 8 and 9, Luke chapter 23. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. Why? He was waiting to meet this man. He was afraid of Jesus because he thought Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. Because for a long time he had been waiting to see him from what he had heard about him. He hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He replied him with many questions. Jesus is again broken. He is in grief again. And he's questioning him. Show us some signs. And Jesus did not open his mouth. He rejected John the Baptist's message. He rejected the kingdom's message. There is no more explanation to hear it. His heart was like a hard soil and the time has run out. No more explanation. Herod, you rejected me. You are condemned. Not in my presence anymore. Verse 10 on was the chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. 
Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed him and mocked him, dressing him in elegant robe, mocking Jesus. They sent him back to Pilate. Verse 12, that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. What are we listening, my dear friends? The kingdom of this world, the system of this world will do what Herod and Herodias did. Thereafter, money, land, position, pride, power, sex, and drinks. That is the same today. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of absolute surrender. A kingdom where you lay up your life and have Christ and his world in you. You give up your treasures. You love God and you love your neighbor. And like the disciples, use your resources to serve others. And such kingdom people will always come under opposition for the, from the worldly kingdom people. Do not be surprised. There is an eternity coming. This world is not the end. And God will reward. It is better to be a John the Baptist having no head than to have the head of Herod the Great or Herod Antipas. And that is the kingdom lifestyle. And that's the discipleship that Jesus is calling us to. I just want to bring some life application points. Number one, just being fascinated about Jesus is not enough. Make a commitment to follow him every day. Second, Jesus is moved with compassion for you. No matter what situation you are going through today, he is ministering. He has compassion. He loves you. Come to him and you will be satisfied. Jesus said earlier in the gospel, right? How this gospel is coming true. Come to me all who are weary and burdened that I will give you rest. What a beautiful gospel. What a powerful first century inspired scripture. My love for the scripture has grown as I'm studying this gospel. Jesus is moved with compassion for you. The kingdom, third one, costs Everything. Even your life. The kingdom costs everything. Fourth and the final one. Serve God by serving people. Serve God by serving people. That's the example of John. That's the example of Jesus. His disciples. The first century church. We can serve God by serving people. People. Make a commitment. Where has this message ministered to you? How is your family? Is there a hint of Herod's family somewhere in your family? Maybe your children. Maybe your spouse. Is there a hint of any adultery in your holy matrimony that God has given to you? Is there a liking for something else other than your spouse? Is there addiction, sexual impurity? Today God is speaking to you. 
let that heart be a soft heart good soil where all this can be taken out and you can be rooted in love in holiness in the word of god because we know the disaster of having a family like of herods let us be like a family of aquila and priscilla who will serve the lord you are a disciple of jesus what is the level of commitment have you laid it all before jesus surrendered everything and willing to serve him or have you kept certain things for your own self some private time for you some private affairs which nobody knows give your time your resources your talents and everything laid before god and serve him do not just be fascinated by jesus but make a commitment to obey him until the end of your life